Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, and it's my pleasure to be introducing you to our robotics and AI community in Australia. Since I've started this podcast, I've had a bit of a change in my career as well, so a bit of a personal update. I'm now the CEO of Robotics Australia Group. It's a not-for-profit organization that promotes, connects, informs, and advocates on behalf of the robotics community in Australia. So if you hear me using the word RAG indiscriminately, of course, I'm promoting the organization that I'm working for. And uh, it's my hope that uh, everyone listening to this episode today will join us and support us in our work that we're doing for you, the robotics community in Australia. I have a very special guest today. Ellie Holmes. Ellie is a biomedical engineer with a deep passion for a better tomorrow. Ellie, I'm going to leave the introduction there because we're going to talk about it, but welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Nikki. It's very exciting to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm very, very honoured you and thank you for making time in your day. I know you're a busy lady. So you, you recently graduated from RMIT in biomedical engineering. Um, tell us a little bit about your, jo- your journey and how you chose this as a career. Yeah, so quite frankly, uh, with six months remaining in year 12, I was studying with the ambition of getting into medicine. Um, so I'd already completed units three and four of biology in year 11 and had taken on the load of special math, mathematical methods, further maths, chemistry and English for my final year of secondary. So a lot of math, right? In fact, yes. every possible math subject, which also go back to I even studied for and sat the UMAT with my best friend, Lockie, which is the med entry exam for high school students. Um, Lockie's now in his fifth year of med, and it's a feat that I'm incredibly proud of him for reaching, but one that I'm not envious of in any way, which leads us to, I guess, the penny drop moment uh, where I realised med probably wasn't for me. I'd organised a day of work placement at one of the local medical clinics with the ethos that if I'm getting into this field, I need to know what a day in the life looks like. Anywho, flash forward to about halfway through this day, we had a non-verbal deaf and blind patient come in to get some blood work done, which I was observing. The nurses were using a textured washer board to communicate with the patient that they were about to have a needle enter their arm. However, Upon the needle's insertion, they had a knee-jerk reaction, which resulted in a literal fountain of blood ejecting from the site. Um, I'm not great with blood. I know this. Anytime I've seen my own blood in the past, I faint. And whilst fainting, I do an extra special thing where I subconsciously hold my breath. So as you can imagine, that also induces fitting as a lack of oxygen is supplied to the brain. So I was set off by this fountain of blood. I hardcore fainted. And the reason why I use hardcore is that I left a dint in the medical clinic's wall on my downward flight. In short, I continued on with the day, but by the time it finished, I had a ripping concussion and had come to the conclusion that maybe med wasn't for me. Listen, I'm I'm (laughs) laughing. It's not funny. No, it is. It absolutely is. What did the staff do? They went, listen, Ali, I think maybe this is not a career for you. Honestly, it was hilarious. And like, as I, I mentioned to you before we start, I, I came from a country background. So these nurses that I was working with, they semi-knew who I was and they were like, what's going on here? Are you okay? Like they're trying to give me sugar to make sure my blood, like my blood sugar levels. Are and I was just like, oh my God, it's fine. I want to continue with my day. So yeah, I, I finished that one. And then 
honestly, I was at a point where I had to kind of have a big reevaluate where I was at because that was what I'd been studying for. It was entirely what built my days, I guess. Um, and so I went back to high school, went back to my day to day and I had a special math class, which that was one of my favorite classes. I absolutely adored it. And a lot of that is attributed to, I guess, my math teacher who I had for both methods and special. His name was Sean Curtis and he was a farmer. So he were, he was a farmer for three days and he came into school to do the other few days to teach. Um, and he said to me, look, I have a daughter who's a doctor and a son who's an engineer and you reflect my son so much more than my daughter. Like you have the ability to, to problem solve and to think on the fly and try to actually apply that in your career. I know that you'll love it. And I guess he gave me that initial start off and kick to look into the, to look into the field. Yeah. So from there, I sat down with my dad and we started searching engineering and biomed engineering was definitely something that sh- shone forward towards me. I, I guess like having uh, yeah done all that medical study and then trying to I guess marry them in the best of ways that, that was evident um so yeah initially it was a lot of repairing MRIs and repairing like cardiac devices that have malfunctioned which again didn't seem right but then I looked into it a little more and I actually saw that it's an incredibly creative field engineering is that you are the innovators of tomorrow and I'd always been a very creative kid. I love fashion and design. That was the other pathway I nearly went down. Um, and so, yeah, it was, a, I guess that's how I ended up where I was. It was the, it was a way that I could sit there, do math every day as I'd love to do doing three subjects. I spent about four hours each day sitting there doing math. That was absolutely incredible for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah now that translates to my job. I'm still problem solving every day and same throughout uni. I love a couple of aspects of your story. Number one, you actually went out there for a day to test drive um, whether you like this or not. And I think that is so crucial. And I'm, I'm not across what schools do now, but I think students, before they make these critical decisions, what careers they want to go in, it should be available to students. And I know this is tough to ask for organisations because they may not have the capacity to do it. But, you know, this is where VR comes in and you can go, well, I'm a nurse for the day and actually seeing what a nurse does. And as you, you know, please have some cushions around if it's you and you're not good with blood. Yes. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, know, my son became a teacher, qualified as a teacher, did six months of it and absolutely hated it. And I, you know, like I just went, well, Education is never a waste, but, you know, the, the financial investment in a degree that actually does not interest you is a waste. And we all know hex debt. Exactly. Yes. Are like everyone's got hex debt and you don't want yep. to be wasting your money. The second part of your story is your maths teacher that obviously instilled <laughs> a love of maths in you. So honestly, um, he was he was more than a math teacher. He felt like almost a friend in that. Yeah environment for yeah I guess for to add on to it my special class there was eight of us in the class we were a tiny little high school and I guess having people in the teaching positions who actually care about kids and who want to nurture their passions and see them grow yeah it's just really exciting to see that and I think it's only becoming more prevalent as we grow as a society as well yeah well a big big shout out to him and I hope you share this podcast with him so yes I will have to pivotal role he played in your in the shaping of who you are today yes, definitely. So you're currently employed by memco as a product lifecycle management solutions engineer it's quite a mouthful tell yeah. us a little bit about memco first and um, how did you get your job there 
Yeah. So Memco, I'll guess I'll start with their business. So Memco is a split business. On one side, we have the people who are mad. That's M-A-A-D, which stands for Memco Aviation Aerospace and Defence. Our team in this area of business concentrate on delivering engineering services, design, system integration, and much more for clients amongst relevant industries. Uh, We also do some in-house research and design, but mostly this is a team of incredibly well-established engineering brains that use their ability to problem solve, innovate, and troubleshoot on the daily. So then the other side of the business where I fit in is Memco Systems. As you mentioned earlier, my job is a product lifecycle management solutions engineer, which, as you said, is a big long term. (laughs) Um, It means that I manage a product from its implementation to the day that it's phased out. The product that we deal with is Desalt Systems 3D Experience Platform, which is an engineering design platform that I actually use throughout the entirety of my university education. So in uni, I would design some sort of device. I worked alongside assistive technology quite heavily. Uh, So I would import, say, a 3D render of a human into a session and design directly on top of it. This allows for seamlessly tailored and customised geometry. And the platform also features applications that permit a variety of simulations to be conducted upon a design. So as students, we were taught to simulate our design's durability and strength by applying force loads to areas of the geometry that would be most prone to fracture or damage. This maintains the number of prototypes and waste generated throughout the engineering design process. Now you have an idea of the platform. I don't actually do much design amongst 3D experience in my role at Memco these days, although I have in the past. Rather, I help customise user interface and implement business procedures for reporting, auditing and streamlined workflow, to name a few. Okay. And how did you get your job there? Yeah, so I got my job there actually through another big shout out um, to Ray, Ray Alhomoi, who is one of my best, I'd say, biomedical engineering buddies from RMIT. And so she had already obtained an internship with Memco and obtained work following that internship. So she proved herself in the role. And then because biomedical engineering doesn't, I guess, have as prolific as a name as what, let's say, um, electronic engineering or mechanical engineering do, she was able to highlight our capabilities um, in the application of 3D experience for Memco. So we, myself and another one of my team members, Emily Belobrov, we were both picked up and hired uh, through some I guess, university recruiting that Memco were doing. Well done and congratulations. I've actually had a look at your company's profile and all the staff that work there. Um, I love the fact that you've got a mixture, like you're getting your balance right. Um, I always say you can't aim for 50-50. My approach is 40-40 and the 20 others, be that as it may, because it's just, as an organisation, that's virtually impossible. Absolutely. Yeah, and I like that you've got, younger people working there and then you've got like different age groups because I'm assuming all these people step in and mentor you. Yes they absolutely do yeah and I'm very fortunate for that and appreciative of it as well and I guess the way that Memco structures the business is that all of these uh, more senior members of staff they're so open to sharing their knowledge Um, like us they are probably intrinsically a little bit more on the nerdy side and so as soon as you're isolated in a room and you're talking about a topic that you're both passionate about, it just flows. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's a really beautiful environment to be in at the moment. So you're involved in event planning and content creation from a technical perspective. Tell us what this involves. 
Yeah, so I guess the most recent example of this would be the Advanced Manufacturing Showcase we had out in Geelong. So that was to showcase the City of Greater Geelong's advanced manufacturing capabilities. Um, in that role, I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, present one of our stream sessions. Um, so that was about um, introducing Industry 4.0 to Geelong. Um, Industry 4.0 in engineering kind of addresses a more sustainable landscape for the future. So incorporating technologies like AI, VR, AR as well, uh, and it basically all of these new frontier technologies that we're just kind of getting our hands on that are now entering their maturation state and how we can actually apply that to our to our field and greater uh, discipline, I guess, inside Victoria. With the event planning, it meant that I was producing any PowerPoints, any technical presentations that were to do with showcasing default systems capabilities of VR or AR, um, which meant that I got to create a fun little bike in a 3D environment that we could pop on a headset and change the different colours of the product. So say you were trying to create a line and wanted to have different colour variants or even mechanical variants as well, different headlights, different tyres, different customizations. we were able to actually simulate that on the flow. So um, any, any customer could say, all right, cool, I want a blue bike with a red headlight because I like to be a bit different. And they could see, all right, this doesn't actually look great when I put them together in real life. Maybe I want to reconsider that design con that consideration. It sounds as though you had a very <laughs> popular session there. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was a really good day. Um, yeah. And it, I, I guess the greater the greater um, note that it spoke to was that there were so many other great technology, technology presentations on display at the AMS. Um, so many different people, especially from Geelong, who were small to medium-sized enterprises or startups who were just trying to get onto this great technology scene that we're seeing at the moment. Like it's honestly, we're going to need to strap our seatbelts in. We're about to head in a very fast paced direction. Yeah, um, I agree with you. But it's going to be incredibly exciting. Um, yeah, one of my favourite ones, 3D Meta is what I would call them. They um, they were displaying some different 3D filament, which as a massive 3D printing nerd, I absolutely adored and I've been able to buy on my own. So I think it's really brilliant to be able to demonstrate that there are local businesses trying to cater towards these needs and that we can actually, yeah, I guess, employ them and give them business. You've had a very interesting work history. Um, and I say this like, you know, obviously you've been studying while you've been doing it, um, which reflects your passions. Tell us about your work at uh, Free 3D Hands. Yeah, so Free 3D Hands is a non-for-profit charity located down in Phillip Island, uh, just an hour away from where I grew up in the town of Corumbara. Um, so Matt Botel is the brains behind this incredible altruistic charity that they have down there. He used to work uh, for Toyota as an engineer for, I believe, somewhere between 10 to 12 years. Sorry, Matt, you can correct those stats. But in that time, he was working out of Toyota's uh, Altona uh, factory. And then he was also granted the opportunity to go and learn from the organization in Japan where he actually met his beautiful wife Yika who helps run the business with him now and what they do is that they manufacture 3D hands for free so we 3D print hands for children or adults who have some sort of uh, development issue or they have lost their hand through an injury and we give them away completely free so that we're able to try to create a better accessibility to assistive technology. 
at the moment, I think we're seeing is quite a heavy amount of innovation in assistive assistive technology, especially with bionic arms. And I don't know if you've seen Elon Musk's Neuralink and all of that kind of, like, it's it's incredibly exciting, especially for applications amongst uh, spinal injuries where we can try to, I guess, cure paraplegia or hemiplegia. Incredibly exciting, but these solutions are very expensive. And so Matt's big ethos is, let's actually try to figure out what technology we have available to use and try to do that in a really cost-effective way for everyone around the globe. What's also really exciting about the business is that it's an open source business. So it's his designs are readily available on Thingiverse, basically any kind of online open source platform that any 3D designer can get their hands on. So it means that they are able to customise these hands for their own anthropological needs. So say someone had a limb, di- a upper arm difference rather than a hand difference, they will be able to customise this hand to extend down their arm, which is incredibly exciting stuff. A big shout out to them. I think I'll need to connect with them and get them on our website as a free member because I think that's something that uh, it just sounds like absolutely fantastic work. Absolutely. What I'd also like to give a plug for is, I know it's a bit of an economically challenging time at the moment, but they're always open for donations at um, info.3dhands.com.au. Oh, plug away. We'll put that in the show notes as well. A little bit more topical, women in STEM, like, you know, we all hear about the stats and things. Um, I don't know how many women you had studying with you, but like, I know Memco's got a concerted effort there to retain staff, especially women, and make it a particularly welcoming work environment. What what do you think are the issues in this area? Look, my biggest issue is with women's representation in engineering currently is probably the streamline from high school to university. I think that there are a lot of different women out there like me who, especially in a rural context, they're bright and they love maths, they'll soak up science. Um, But most, I guess, people in advisory positions in these rural areas, they go, all right, cool, medicine is the standout. We know that you could do that. Whereas engineering is not really even considered. So I feel like we need to do some advocacy in these regions, try to engage with kids directly, um, actually show them what these skills can bring about and also different creative applications as well. It's something that I think um, engineers skip over quite a lot is that our work is inherently creative and that there are so many women who are being overlooked by not even knowing that. It's I think quite a large barrier to entry. Um, the other the other thing that we do need to focus on though is retaining women within the workforce. I've got a, I know you've been talking about the stats objectively, but I will bring one up. So at the moment we have 18,000 students graduate in engineering or a related technology sector each year in Australia. And 18% of those are female. So that's still low, but it's actually heavily increased over the last decade. It's something I'm very proud of. But what it translates to is that amongst our work, our workforce, there's only 12.4% of women um, representing yeah, engineers there. So it's, I guess, trying to actually make sure women graduating from these degrees are then being guaranteed, well, not guaranteed, but they are able to obtain a career following the completion of it. I think it's this journey um from a younger age you know I think by the time kids have reached high school they've already sort of made up their minds which directions they're going 
I believe math should just be compulsory to year 12, where they just scrape through, just um, you don't have to get a distinction, just scrape through because no, there's no way today where you don't use math. You need, you need maths, you know. So, and I've said this many times before on our podcast, humanities is an easier direction to get in than STEM. But once you've chosen that, you can't flip over, but you can go from a STEM career, yeah. you can go to humanities easier. And, you know, again, and you'll learn. And gain so many skills that are applicable in every industry is what I think learning and getting familiar with technology is something that as a society, we're going to have to get better at over the next decade. Um, Whether that's out of force or choice, like it needs to be choice. But honestly, I think it's better to be preventative and start to know what this technology can do for the masses. Like the general population have a broader understanding of what AI is, what VR can do as well. Like even, um, not that we need to go into the details of blockchain, but what these kind of cloud platforms online, what they mean for us as humans now. I think that this kind of education needs to be done because it will also mean that we're all at a similar base level where we're, we're able to then spur about creative ideas and innovations from there. I think inviting more people to the table is the best way to move forward. Listen, I agree with you, you know, and, and, you know, we happen to work in this industry. So like we're probably a little bit more familiar with all these terms and things, but I do have sympathy for, um, you know, people and it could be the audience listening or anyone out there that, you know, this is not, this is not in their day. They just know about it periphery from current to fair robots are going to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, the latest disaster that has struck us. And yes, I do agree. But I think it's incumbent on us, like whatever your job, if you know a little bit about it. So, you know, if you're getting phone calls, I always say to friends, don't answer the phone. If you don't know the number, they can leave a message. If they're exactly. not leaving a message that I want to speak to you, you know, then you can just assume it's just a, it's just a phishing call. Exactly right. And I think especially, um, yeah, with even our older generations and the, and the generational gap there with regard to technology, there's also some massive efforts that need to be going on there. It's for the protection of everyone. So um, no one likes to be scammed. And I think just some general know-how, um, the banks could get get on top of this better, in my opinion. I um, hope there's a bank out there listening that can put more warnings out there, more education, because a lot of people are, are still very reliant on going into banks. And yeah, I, I read an article of a hacker and he said Australians are the stupidest people on earth. I, I think he just refers to our naivety and that we generally very nice people and we can't believe that yeah. people could be so bad to try and hack us and steal all our money. Exactly. I think I think it's a beautiful part of Australian culture, to be quite frank, is yeah. that we are very charismatic people inherently. Um, but the issue with it is that I also do think there's a little bit of anti-intellectualism going along at the moment, especially, I guess, from my back, my background in a regional Victoria. It's almost as though learning and becoming intimately familiar with something that you're passionate about can almost be seen as a little bit like, oh. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, this is where the tall poppy syndrome comes in a little bit. Exactly. To, it's not. Yeah. It's actually just you're very enthusiastic and you'd actually just actually like to help people. But if they yeah. just flip their thinking slightly that you're not trying to show off. Look again, people get intimidated because, you know, if I think the yeah. big thing is if you don't know anything and you've got clearly an expert that can talk to you, you don't actually want to show how ignorant you are. So you sort of, 
you know, all sorts of defense mechanisms come yeah. in. That's just human nature. That's well, just what we I do. think that exactly right. I think we're all guilty of that, of uh, being in a conversation with someone and them are using terminology that you have absolutely no idea what it means. And just going, yes, yes, I've, yes, I am completely. I mean, I listen to speaking to me in my new role. I have all these acronyms <laughs> thrown at me and I go, I don't actually know who the hell you're talking about, but yeah. I'll go and look it up. And I, at some point I will actually know who you're talking about, but clearly it's not that important now. So. Exactly. But I think the beautiful thing is, so is being able to have those conversations and people who I guess are on the tech side, I would challenge uh, listeners who, if they aren't aware of a word when they're talking to someone with a more technical mind, just ask them. Most of the time yeah. we're more than happy to share that and we might even go on a little rant for you, which would be very fun to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, and also from the technical point of view, I always say to people with that like deep knowledge, they assume you're talking to an idiot, like it really, you know, yes. like, but, you know, make it easy because, that's actually the skill of a conversation is talking to someone and um, you know through various guests like on my podcast I, I know the ones that are really good because the way they talk and they explain and they take their time to say things you know mm. they they're catering for an audience possibly me to go like I'm bringing it down to base level for you so that you know what once you've got it explained to you like that generally speaking everyone can pick it up you know exactly. this is where chat GP chat GPT comes, yes. comes in because you go, let me say what I wanted to say and can you make this better for me? Having said that, <laughs> I still haven't actually even downloaded anything. I haven't even played with it, but look, that's... Oh, that's honestly, <laughs> it's worthwhile having a fiddle with. It's a very exciting space and they're doing and yeah, well. I, I don't have time at the moment, but I will, <laughs> at some point I'll do it. So you've established technical expertise over an array of software and uh, you're well versed in coding. Was this part of your degree or something that you just developed on your own? Yeah, so I guess it's probably a mix of the two, I would say. I was introduced to quite an array of softwares throughout university, mm -hmm. and I think that it does fall on the student in that situation, especially um, I was a student throughout uh, online learning and that whole COVID fun times. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that did mean that we were being introduced to softwares that we might not have necessarily um, had the same time invested and in like a one-on-one -on -one setting with our lecturers. So that means that you do, you do need to try to use open source programs or even YouTube to learn what these programs can actually do. So that's honestly how I think I've built those expertise. A little, a large degree of it is also through my work, um, both at Free3D Hands and Memco. I've had mentors who are more than happy and to share the software that they are well-versed in. And um, yeah, that allows me to pick it up and apply it for whatever need that may be for me, which is also quite often a different application to what they're using it for. So it's really beautiful to see softwares being used for a wide variety of applications. Yeah. So you mentioned the word uh, mentor. Do you have You've got unofficial ones that I think you just are naturally uh, privy to at member yeah. because they just sound as though they're just an awesome group of people yes. to work with. But do you have a formal mem uh, mentor that you check in with? I guess my I, he's not my formal mentor, but I would say my mentor was probably Matt Botel from Free3D Hands. He, he knows it and he would feel more comfortable, more than comfortable with me sharing that he's probably more of a father figure than what he is an actual work colleague for me. Um, and that is just a massive testament to the person that he is. And he's welcomed me into his family with open arms and just basically darted on every knowledge that he has into my little brain, which I'm so appreciative for. And what he does for all of his other interns there, I know as well. Um, but what I also do want to comment on is that you 
for students out there who may be listening is that you can find a mentor in absolutely anyone. Like I have mentors who are my grandparents. I have mentors who are my best friends. Like everyone has some sort of perspective and knowledge that you don't have and you need to start getting comfortable with that is that you can't know everything and therefore we need to be able to listen well. Yeah. I just have to pull you up on that comment about your little brain. There's nothing little about your brain. (laughs) I don't ever want to hear that word out of your mouth again. Thank you. What would you be saying to any girls thinking of a career in STEM? Oh, my gosh. We want you is the biggest thing I would say is that there are so many employers out there who we are trying our best to just make this a nurturing and nourished environment right now, especially with regard to culture. I think that that is probably what has been the greatest gap in the past is that women would get to the point where they are deciding which kind of career direction they want to go down. And when they're looking at their day-to-day sitting behind a computer with like men surrounding them, sometimes that's actually quite intimidating. Well, not sometimes, most of the time it's quite intimidating. But the reality is now is that most of my days I'm surrounded by an array of different characters who I learn from in these incredibly beautiful different ways. And we're able to work together collectively to produce these incredible outputs and solutions that it's just so rewarding. And I feel that many women out there would find rewarding. Fantastic advice. Ellie, any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with? Um, I've I've thought a little bit this actually. Um, I guess I wanted to speak a little bit about 3D printed textiles. It's a scene that I'm really excited about at the moment. Um, So the idea of using conventional 3D printing, but being able to only print minimal layers, so like two or three layers up, but on top of fabric. So I just think that's such an awesome cure for the massive pollution issue that we're seeing in the fashion and clothing industry at the moment like 92 million tons of clothing are either wasted or burnt each year if we were able to get these garments that maybe don't fit right maybe are just a bit outdated and upcycle them using 3d printed fabric that people haven't seen before that we can play in these three dimensions and I don't know I think it's just a really beautiful creative solution to otherwise quite an all-consuming issue yes I actually noticed the Twitter feed yesterday and I can't remember the company's name and even if I did I wouldn't mention it but they they had their warehouse and it was literally packed with parcels going out and the plastic yeah and they had a severe I think the the founder put it out showing you know how well they're doing and and good for Mm -hmm. them but I think the backlash was the plastic that was used there and oh absolutely some comments yeah yeah, well, absolutely. And and that is also an issue with, I guess, 3D printing. Anyone who's in 3D printing will mention that. The, the filament that we use is PLA, but massive efforts have gone in towards being able to try to regenerate this PLA, make it a one life cycle. So if you have an end product, being able to recycle that PLA. And there are already machines that we can input old plastic into and it can produce our filament for something like $10,000. And that price will become reduced over the next five to 10 years quite easily, I'd say. Yeah, it's a bit like sensors. Everything became more affordable once the price of sensors went down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Elliot, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, <laughs> I, I can see um, you're going to go far in any direction that you choose to apply your obvious intellect and intelligence to. And I just wish you continued success on your journey. Um, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, thank you, Nikki. It's been seriously such a moving experience for me too. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's very different for me to have a light like this for a moment. So I appreciate your kind words. 
No, and um, listen to any ladies out there thinking about a career in STEM, um, hit Ellie up on LinkedIn, connect with her, send her messages and ask for advice because she, I know she will answer you. Yes, I absolutely will. (laughs) (laughs) To our audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're well, look after yourself and I look forward to your company again. Cheers. Mm -hmm.